0: God's desire um, is for uh, what we just sung uh, to be true uh, in your life, right? That you see yourself as a child of God, and that that life is good. Okay, so um, I'm really excited about the um, about what people will be speaking to you about on Tuesday night. If you um, and this is where you are regularly, um, the Sermon on the Mount is. Um, the most important teaching I think that you can get in college uh, because um, it is uh, God um, coming to himself and helping us explain uh, a bunch of stuff uh, that we don't really need, whatever or that we don't really understand. And whatever your background is, if this is the first time that you are hearing teaching out of the Bible or you have grown up in um, a Bible-believing church your entire life, um, we, uh, we have a hard time um, understanding what God is really like until um, we start studying the Sermon on the Mount because it is where he finally reveals himself that is the point point. Um, and so tonight I'm gonna to pray one more time um, but I want to have a conversation with you uh, and I mean that because I want you not just to listen and to like when is this over or hey that was fine um, but I really want you to uh, engage with me as we look at Scripture as I ask you questions um, and as you consider what it is that God um, would say, uh, say to you tonight. So let me pray real quick, and then we will uh, jump in. Uh, Father, your desire um, is to be present with us. Uh, your desire, Father, is uh, for us to be um, in uh, relationship with you. relationship that we choose uh, and that we keep choosing. Uh, Father, I pray that as we talk about what it means uh, to be spiritually poor, uh, Father, that we would want to be spiritually poor. And so, Father, I pray that uh, your truth uh, would be exciting for us. Father, that truth and reality are something that we would want, um, and that we would want your truth and your reality, and that would be true for us. And so, Father, I pray in the short time that we have together that you um, would move, and that your Holy Spirit is just not on, I feel like I have so many things. We'll take this one off. And Father, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, active um, in our learning uh, and in our understanding. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, is this one on? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Amplification. I was hearing myself fine. All right, thank you. Um, If I have never met you before, my name is Rob Nichols. Uh, I am a South Carolina graduate. Um, I graduated in the year 2000. So I went to college in the 90s, it was a grand time. Uh, I am uh, also from the area. I have four children, Uh, one of them is a baby and she is wearing a helmet. Um, It's really cute. Okay, so if you want to see a baby wearing a helmet, I'll show you a picture before I leave. Um, but uh, our youngest child, her name is Perry Kate, and she is a, a, a joy to our family, a recent addition. All our children uh, really like her, and so um, that is very helpful to us. Um, I have been, um, I've been in a relationship with my wife uh, for about 17 years, and uh, I still really like her. <laughs> and I think that she still likes me. So I, I was very choice in my words. Love, we've got a, we. Love is an action, right? Like is uh, emotion, and so I really like my wife. Um, and so I pray uh, that you have people in your life that like you. All right, let's begin. Uh, so we're uh, so tonight we're going to have a conversation about uh, Matthew uh, five verse three. If you'll turn with me there, that you, if you're not already there. Um, in Matthew 5, verse 3, uh, and you can just leave that on up there the whole time, um, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I mentioned that the Sermon on the Mount is the most important thing, uh, most important teaching that I think you can receive um, because it unpacks and makes bare right, who God actually is. You have all sorts of ideas about what it means to be in relationship with Christ, uh, what it means to be saved, uh, what it means to... Uh, go to church or all of these things, but this teaching, and I'm hoping, and I'll be praying um, that, um, that the Lord is um, faithful uh, through those that are teaching you, that this will be an, a really eye-opening um, series for you and really helpful um, for you to come to Christ or for you to walk uh, well with Him. So when we, see, um, when we see the Sermon on the Mount, we have uh, this picture that the, that the author is painting, um, of Jesus coming, uh, he has a crowd, uh, He calls his disciples to himself, uh, He sits down up from them, and he begins telling them stuff. Um, there's all sorts of things they tell him, uh, tell, uh, all sorts of things that He can tell them, but he begins with poetry. I don't know about you, but when you start talking with people, I'm, I'm assuming that's not the place that you start. Correct? And so I believe that he does this because he wants us to especially remember, right? This uh, these ideas that he gives, because he because we all, if if I'm uh, if I'm reading the room right, all have different ideas about what it means to be blessed, right? What it means to be fortunate, what it means to have advantage in this world, and of all the things that he could say, that is where he starts. He says, "I don't know what you think, but I want to tell you." What I think. I want to tell you what it means to actually be blessed. I want to tell you what it actually means to have advantage in this world. I want to tell you what it actually means to be fortunate, really fortunate. And so he begins to unpack that because of all the things that we think, that's probably not what we think about what the things that he says are fortunate are. They're actually the exact opposite of the things that we think, particularly this first one. He says, being poor in spirit, whatever you might think or have heard uh, about what that means, I assume that as soon as you read it, you're like, no. <laughs> There's no way that that is what it means to be fortunate. And so we don't even consider, we don't go further. In our conversation tonight, I really just want to spend time on uh, three ideas. Okay? So I've told you what it means to be blessed, and we may speak a little bit more about that in a minute. But, uh, but secondarily, I want to talk to you about, what it, um, about why you need to understand about uh, God's kingdom. And you need to understand that a little bit better. I think it will be helpful for you. And the second thing is I want you to understand what it means to be poor in spirit and that you need to be poor in spirit. That you need to fight to be poor in spirit. That your life with God will be what it's supposed to be if that quality is yours. You are fortunate if you have this quality, if you are poor in spirit, because you have this promise. What is the promise? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People have given you all sorts of promises, but they've never given you a promise as good as that one. It says, I promise that my kingdom which doesn't end, which is good and right, can give you all the things that you really need, it it doesn't stop. It is eternal. How do we know that this is good? Is because he tells us. Right? God is awesome. He says, be like this. So here's how I want you to think about the Beatitudes as... Uh, additional people teach you through these, that these are attitudes of being, that this is what your attitude should be as you are. That we should be having this attitude. Attitude is everything. Your attitude about today really shaped how it went. Amen? Your attitude uh, of uh, when you meet somebody and what your attitude is towards them, which you can change, matters dramatically about how you treat them and how you think the situation went. Our attitude is in our power. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is this idea of kingdom. Now, we don't live uh, in a kingdom, do we? You have no idea what it means to be ruled by a king. And so this is foreign to us. And so I want to give you some ideas of... um, of what you need to understand because God is always speaking in the language of kingdom, that he's talking to the people of, that, uh, of his time right, about uh, something that came out of every pore of their being. All they knew was how to be ruled, right? And all they knew was what, uh, what it was to be under a king. And so he used that to his advantage and he talked often about, well, then what does it look like to be in my kingdom because I'm a king? And I want to rule you. And I want you to decide to be under my rule. So the kingdom of heaven is synonymous with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where God reigns and rules. The kingdom of God is where there is shalom. Anybody ever heard this word? Okay. Um, so it's a typically translated peace, but it has all these other ideas. There's so much more to this idea of shalom. Other ideas that encompass it to, to make it more well-rounded for us to understand what his kingdom is about is it's about peace. Right? There's no strife in his kingdom. What he wants to happen is happening and nobody's against it. In his kingdom, there is wholeness. Right? They're not fractured things. They're not broken things. They're not bent things. They're not things that are missing pieces. They, in his kingdom, things are whole. In his kingdom, things are healthy. They're not sick. They're not in danger. Right? That how they're supposed to be, they are. And then lastly, in his kingdom, things are right. They are as they should be. They're not, at, not as they should be. Things are not unjust in his kingdom. As I describe that, you want to live there. We want to want to live right where God is, where he reigns and he rules. God's kingdom, in God's kingdom there is shalom. One aspect of our salvation that we don't uh, understand and we've got to work out is this aspect of that I need to give up um, my reign and my rule, right, for God's reign and God's rule in my life. So I want to define this real quick because uh, as we're dealing with these ideas. Uh, when we talk about reigning, this is the idea of position or authority, okay? So to say when God says he reigns, um, that just is true and there's nothing you can do about it, okay? So, like, the president has authority. Whether or not we voted for him or not, whether or not we like it or not, he has specific authority. Our God reigns. And so we need to recognize that. But ruling is different. Ruling is controlling. Okay? As someone rules, they are actually affecting uh, activity in your life. If somebody rules you, if I were to rule my 11-year-old son, I'm, you know, making him slap himself or, you know, do something that he doesn't want to do. I am ruling over him. I am making him do otherwise. But I, but it's my choice. When we rule, we control the action. God wants to reign and rule in your life. And what he says is that that is salvation. Because the problem that you and I both have is that I reign, I think I reign, and I rule. And the consequences of our lives are because we reign and we rule. And he smiles at you and he tussles your hair and he says there's a better way. He's kind like that. So the question we need to ask ourselves as as we if we say that we're in relationship with him or that we say we are saved or we say whatever we say is does he reign on the throne of me? Is he in charge? Is he in authority? Or am I? And we can tell who's in authority by who's controlling the action. Make sense? Have a fun? thumbs up? Yep? Alright. We're with me. So a couple of verses, if you'll flip with me to Colossians 1, 13-14, uses this kingdom language. You're just like, I've never heard this language before, this is kind of weird, I'm not comfortable with it, but he uses it all the time, and I'm going to make sure that you understand it. Because to understand relationship with Christ is to understand that He is King Jesus. And salvation means that He rules and He reigns in your life. There's no other way. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. And in this kingdom of his son, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. That's good news for us. In relationship, we are rescued. Relationship means something. One more aspect that I want to talk to you about kingdom is to remind ourselves best authority that Jesus should be ruling in your life. And I want you to think about this, that however you think about him and your relationship with him and what he does for you or how you let him speak, is that what his intention is in your life is that, he is, um, that his rule is a practical reality. It's not lip service. It's not something I want to be true That if I have the relationship that he wants me to have with him, that he is practically every day affecting my decisions. And that's good news for you because you're bad at it. And I'm bad at it. Amen? You're like, yeah. To put it another way, John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Right, the idea there is trusting, a trust relationship. He who has a trust relationship in the Lord has eternal life, but he who does not obey, and that's why we know through context, who does not obey the Son will not see life. So we think that we just kind of have him. Somehow, if you ask me to explain, I, I can't explain, I just have him. (laughs) but he says to have me is to obey me that's what I am in your life I'm not your buddy not your pal I'm your king kings rule and kings reign and that rule and reign is the best thing that ever happened to you have you known some good people in your life that spoke into your life that had some control over your life and how that went for you when you let them have control raise your hand do you have some people like that in your life that randomly you just let find <laughs> And because they were good and because they live life with the Father and they know what they're doing, that things turned out the way that they're supposed to turn out, right? First John five twelve The one who has the Son has life. The one that does not have the Son does not have life. Life is found in the kingdom. Under God's rule and His reign. To have faith in the Son, and to have the Son means for Him to be king over you practically and for Him to rule over you in your current experience. Many people have been sold, I was one of them, have been sold a story of God's redemption that does not include this aspect. It's not specific enough. I don't know, like I want Jesus, I like Jesus, his spirit is drawing me, I want to obey, but but in a non-specific way. He's calling you out specifically. He's calling you how to live very specifically. See, he who has no king has no savior. And that might be controversial, but he who doesn't have a king doesn't have somebody that has the power to save. It's not, we often think, well, I'll get him as my savior. I'll let him forgive me. (laughs) I'll let him give me eternal life, but I'll decide later if he's my king. He's like, it doesn't work like that, guys. King. Who can save? And this turns it on its ear because this is what he unpacks in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? That as he begins with their statement, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will see the kingdom of heaven. Is that he is trying to communicate that to them if they didn't understand already. God's kinghood in your life is not optional. If you want to have what he offers, it is not optional. There's many years of my life that I lived as if it was optional. And I was frustrated, and I was irritated, not at God, but at myself. Because I was like, what am I not understanding? (laughs) This abundant life that he offers, that's not how I would describe my life. And then I had some people that were kind and were gentle and were patient with me and began to unpack some of these ideas for me. Because I assume that when you felt the call of God or as you're hearing his call now, That you maybe didn't know what you're getting into or didn't know what comes next. But really that is most of of Jesus' teaching as he's trying to help you in as many words as possible. Tell you what what life looks like after you meet me. After you come into relationship with me. So one quick thing about Sermon on the Mountain. And then we'll we'll land the plane with um, talking about being poor in spirit. So we're thinking about the Beatitudes as it relates to the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you are familiar with um, the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue or God's Ten Words? Yep, you've heard of this? Right, you've seen them somewhere. The Decalogue is uh, is, um, the stipulations of relationship for Israel. That um, there were uh, these people that God made that came from a man named Abraham. They were enslaved in a place called Egypt. That He raised up this person to deliver them. Not just maybe to direct the deliverance would probably be more accurate. But as these people that had been in slavery their entire lives were rescued miraculously through what God calls in Exodus 19, his, um, his mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Right, he brought these enslaved people to himself. And it's at this place that he said, hey, I know that you've known nothing in your life but slavery, but I, want, but, but I wanted to introduce yourself to you. I'm, I'm Yahweh. I'm the God who created everything. I created you. And I want to make you a people for myself and basically he's calling them out right to be his bride he's calling them out to make covenant with them and the decalogue actually is the stipulations of that relationship he says hey I want to be in relationship with you do you want to be in relationship with me then here's what it looks like to be in relationship with me how many of you could have benefited from that in your last relationship Before you got into it, the person said, hey, I want to be in a relationship with you. Do you want to be in a relationship with me? Here's what it looks like to be in a good relationship. Raise the hands. Yeah? Yeah, that would have been helpful. (laughs) So why I go into that detail is because that image of a good, loving, and powerful God coming to a people who don't deserve it, who don't know anything other than slavery... And God comes and offers relationship with them as stipulations. That is burned in their brain. That is when they became God's people. They will never forget that image throughout their history. And what Jesus is doing here is he's recreating that picture. That is God coming to a people and offering relationship to them. And then spelling out what that relationship should look like. What grace and what mercy for someone to come and say, I want to be with you. Would you want to be with me? Here's the stipulations of that relationship. And they're good. When's the last time you guys have been to a wedding? In last month? Yes, do you remember the vows? It says this, I, blank, take thee, blank, to be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part. These are vows that I've asked others to recite many, many times. And essentially it's a vow to like, I'm not leaving. (laughs) There's nothing real super specific about it, is there? It's just like, I'm in and I'm not going anywhere. I promise to not go anywhere. But God wants to give us better vows. A better understanding of what it looks like to, uh, to walk with Him. So one more place I want you to turn, and then we'll land the plane. I want you to turn to Psalm 15. If you've never seen uh, this psalm, that I want you to... Um, push these Psalm, this idea together, right? It's Psalm 15, right, in Matthew 5 through 7. And he says this, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Right, it's the same idea as so he's asking a question he's going to answer, but as God sits down, as he says, what his kingdom citizens are, right who they are and what they're about. It's the same idea. He wants you to know. It is no mystery. He wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt what it means to be his. He wants it to be simple and straightforward. And he wants you to agree with it and to do it. How many of you are guilty of overcomplicating absolutely everything? Raise your hand high. Own it. (laughs) we need a king in our life who keeps it real simple the psalmist is saying this idea the one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness acknowledges the truth is in his heart he does not slander with his tongue he does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word without cost, who does not lend a silver at interest, to take a snake of pride against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be shaken. This is a kingdom citizen. This is God's person. This is what he calls us to. He calls you to shalom in every area of your life, because it's good for others. So lastly, we come to a poor in spirit. And we'll, we'll be as quick as I can with this. Fortunate are you, blessed are you. It is a sweet condition if you find yourself like this. To be poor in spirit. Because if this condition, this quality, these values are yours. Then God's kingdom is your kingdom. He's saying, that's how I want you to live. Somebody that you've never heard of said, to be poor in spirit is to be poor in the inward man. Not in outward circumstances. Consequently, to be poor in spirit is to recognize one's poverty spiritually before God. What's he saying? He's saying that I recognize that I am in need of a king. That I am in need of a new kingdom. And I'm to never get over that. It's not like I feel really bad right the second, and so Lord, would you finish me off? (laughs) And then I'll just go about doing what I'm doing. No. He says that we've come to understanding that who I am and how I live my life is insufficient, that I'm not happy with how I'm living it, that I'm not good at it, that I keep on not getting the results that I want to get. I'm unhappy. I'm upset. And I'm lost. He said, if that's you, right? if you feel that way, then you feel like you need a king. And if you feel that way, then you feel like you need a savior. And he said, I need you to stay there. Do you understand that? That's what he's telling you. It's like, that is good for you. See, as Americans, with all the distractions we have, with all the things that we can do, with all the things that we can have, this is probably the thing that we struggle with the most. All I'm trying to do of every second of every day is not feel poor. Of not feel like I need something. That is basically a lot of our lives. (laughs) As I'm doing every ounce of energy I have to not need something, to distract myself, to have fun. And he's saying, that's actually the opposite of how you should live. I need you to understand that you're poor, blind, wretched, and naked, and that you need somebody else. Another guy that you haven't heard of says this is the opposite of self-esteem, self-assertion, and pride. Humility is of the chief of all Christian virtues is the hallmark of the child of God. Humility means having a poor opinion of yourself, of your powers, and of your faculties. To use the word of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, it means to be poor in spirit. So where do you find yourself? See, it matters what you think right now. It matters what you think it means to be fortunate and to have advantage in this world. To be blessed. You have an idea right now and you are trying like crazy to make it happen. However you define blessed. Am I right? And so as God is having his saying his peace that we need to consider Who do I believe? And I would ask that you look at the results, because this is what I did in my life. Over and over and over again, no matter how many times people told me, I kept doing it my way, everything. I had to have it my way, I did it my way. And the Lord gently, with a big smile on his face, ruffled my hair and said, let's look at the tape. Let's watch the film, Rob. So uh, what were you doing here? (laughs) How'd that go for you? You feel good about that? And not in a condemning way, in a judging way. He's just saying, this is what it looks like for you to be in control. And it wasn't until he kept, the Holy Spirit kept asking me that question. And kept asking me, are you okay with you being in control? Are you happy with what's going on? Because all there is is more of this. He says, I've got an idea. I've I've, I've told you this idea several times, but let me offer it one more time. There's nothing complicated about this. What salvation means is, hey, Rob, I want to be your king because you suck at it. It's the most gracious thing that everyone has ever asked me. Can I be your king? I know you and I still love you. Do you have you ever asked that about yourself? Is it, is it hard for you to feel like all the things that you do that are wrong, is it hard to feel loved? And God says, I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know what you think. I know what you will do. I still love you. I made you. I still want to be in relationship with you. I still want to be your king. To be poor in spirit means to never get over the spiritual reality of that face. I need to always need a king. I need to always need a savior. I need to never graduate or mature from that. My attitude will not change. I am always a debtor. I want to share two last scriptures with you, and then um, Adam will come up and uh, close our time. Are you open to being poor in spirit? Are you open to be fortunate? in God's economy. It's something you are or are you aren't, but you can decide to do it. In Matthew 5, uh, 9, 12, he says this, um, that's really helpful for us. He says that, that it's only the sick, right, that need a doctor, and so, what he says it means to be blessed is that I always understand that I need a doctor, and that he's him. So here's what I'd like you to do uh, to close before and Adam. You can come on up. I want you to be open. Uh, to what uh, I've shared with you tonight. I want to be open to what God is speaking to you. Because you can raise hands and you can say prayers, but all God wants to do is live with you. And I would love to talk with you about that. Adam would love to talk with you about that. That, that, that is something that we've got to work for our understanding. But today, right, is a time where that is available to you. That new life is available as soon as you will say yes to him in that specific way. So I'm going to pray for us. Adam, you can close however you want to. But I want to challenge you, right, to be blessed in the way that God has said. And I want you to hold on to that promise that that if we will be poor in spirit, if we'll embrace that, if we'll seek that, that we need a king, we need a savior, then the kingdom of heaven is ours. Let's pray. Father, there's um, lots of things that um, we can think, but Father, I pray that the overwhelming idea that they got out of our conversation this evening Father, was that you love them, right? And that you want them to be your king. Father, that they would start to smile about that possibility. That the only thing between me and you being my king is for me getting off of that throne and starting to live as if that is true. Maybe we've wanted it to be true, but we've actually never done anything about it. Father, new life doesn't start until that starts. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would grieve our hearts if we were far from you. Father, I pray that you would make us dissatisfied with our rule. And that you would draw us, Father, to yourself so that we would long for someone else to rule. And that is what you want. That is what you created us for. You created us to be... To live lives that are dependent on you. We were not created to live a different way. And my testimony is that abundant life starts when I started doing that. When I started to learn to live dependently on you. When I started to understand and not take a day off. That I am poor in spirit. That I need a king. That I need a savior. Father transform our minds and help us get that idea. I love you, Father. Thank you for this time. In Christ's name,